Misfit Toys. We are sponsored this week by Apostrophe. It's a prescription skincare company that uh, offers science-backed oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear up acne. I uh, battled acne when I was a teenager, and, and contrary to popular belief, not a lot of fun. Uh, so if you're interested in trying Apostrophe, uh, we got a special deal for you guys. You can save $15 off your first visit with an apostrophe provider at apostrophe.com slash mental when you use our offer code mental. And this code is only available to you guys. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash mental and then click begin visit. Then use our code mental at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O. P-H-E dot com slash mental. And then remember, use that code mental to get your dermatologist crafted treatment plan for $5. And many thanks to Apostrophe for sponsoring the podcast. Welcome to episode 581 with my guest, Ellie Vingiano. My name is Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the bullshit bouncing around in our skulls. I am not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com, and mentalpod is the social media handle you can follow us at. Um, Let's dive into some surveys, huh? This one is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by uh, a guy who calls himself Blash. And his struggles are anxiety and depression and a snapshot from his life. I used to lay in the middle of the road in high school to help myself cope with anxiety. I could feel the terror of a hypothetical car coming to run me over while trying to resist the urge to get up. I would play music into my ears so loud while staring at the stars just so I could keep myself from looking down. But in the end, I'd always jump up. A car never came by. I got to assume you lived in the boonies. Wow, that is that is quite a uh, quite a picture you painted. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're okay. That's so funny reading that. Even though I knew you clearly didn't die because you wrote that, I was nervous reading that. Uh, this is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by Joe Mama. Oh, I'm a big fan. And uh, he asked, "Did you ever meet Ted Turner?" I never did meet uh, meet Ted. Um, for those of you that don't know, I used to host a TV show on uh, TBS called uh, Dinner and a Movie, and uh, never did. I always wanted to meet him. I don't know what I would have said. He probably would have asked me. Uh, he probably would have ordered a drink from me. Thought I was a waiter, but um, yeah, he was definitely. Uh, you know, the word maverick gets thrown around a lot, but he said something that I thought was kind of interesting. But, about media conglomeration and the difficult, uh, how difficult it is these days with so much power in the hands of few, so few corporations. He said that a, a channel like his would never have survived in today's climate because there's, there's just such an imbalance of power. Maybe, maybe that's what I would have asked him if I met him. Uh, This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by Not Sure What I'm Asking. And uh, she writes, What is the best way to conquer the fuckets? 
I can't afford to be drunk again, and every time something important goes sideways, I just want to go crawl into the bottle. You know, there's a, there's a saying in recovery that, you, you know, if you're, if you're an alcoholic or an addict, you drink from the bottle and then the bottle starts drinking from you. And it sounds like that's the place that you're at. And we talk about the fuckets a lot in uh, our support group. And for me, uh, by the time I get to the fuckets, I'm in, I'm in trouble. And so for me, it's more of a preventative thing where I need to stay in contact with people who understand me, who can support me, and vice versa. And asking for help was was the only thing that has worked for me because I tried doing it on my own for years, and it just, if anything, got worse and worse. And, you know, there's a saying, it's, you can't fix uh, the broken brain with a broken brain Uh, because we just do not have... We're so self-absorbed and fear-based when we're when we're untreated that our perspective on our own lives is so warped. We can have a clear perspective on other people's lives because we're we can be emotionally detached from from them. But yeah, I hope you I hope you you get to a place where you let somebody help you or a group of people help you. This is uh, also from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Maz. And she writes, have you ever felt so sad you cannot even wank? (laughs) Well, let me tell you, I am not a quitter. And I have never gotten to the place where I can't give it a tug. I just grossed myself out. (laughs) I'm sure there are people that get so sad they can't wank. Maybe you need to get stripped down, get in front of that mirror, give yourself a pep talk. And who says you can't cry while you're wanking? What's the what's the word we came up with that on the podcast to, for that? Master sobbing? Uh, also from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by Chatterbox, she asked, do you ever feel waves of remorse for your mother on not being a part of your life? Well, I, I'm a little confused on, do you mean remorse for her or remorse for me? I, I can, I'll just speak on my feeling on the situation in general. Not remorse, but sadness, because I know I made the right decision by ending my relationship with her, because I had to do it to maintain my sanity and my mental health and, and to be able to grow. But I do feel sad about it. I feel um, grief. But over time, it's gotten it's gotten better. This is an awful moment filled out by a guy who calls himself that sofa looks more comfy than my retirement plan. Oh, I love that. And he writes, uh, a close relative of mine just today told me they might have a serious issue with a tumor in their head. But not even that news has stopped me from sweating about the same shitty, small stuff, woe is me, problems that run through my head and darken most days for me about 800 times from wake till sleep. I've really become a stranger to myself. I think that is so human, though, to just be self-obsessed especially I think in the absence of any kind of recovery and support because it just remains all about us. Even if we're calling ourselves a piece of shit, 
or the flip side that, you know, we're the king. It's still all about us, and it's a shitty, lonely way to go through life. Uh, Maybe you've read my book, uh, Sweat the Small Stuff. (laughs) uh, You should read the chapter, It's Probably Cancer, Uh, Begin Worrying. Very popular chapter. And another popular chapter, People Secretly Hate You uh, Because of That One Mistake You Made That One Time. But uh, I think a, a network of support people to get out of yourself would really, really help. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a gender-fluid person who refers to themselves as loud in the clouds about their ADD. They write, hyper-focused on a puzzle, listening to your podcast with an unpacked apartment. (laughs) The movers will be here tomorrow. Oh my God, that is so fantastic. About their anxiety, sitting still makes me scream. God, these are so good about alcoholism and drug addiction. I'm an invisible house on fire searching for anything to ease the flames. About their anorexia. I leave my groceries out too long after I get enough courage to buy them so they go bad and I won't have to eat after all. About their love addiction. I'm obsessed with you because you convinced me I'm not worthless. This one's so heavy. About being a sex crime victim. Rape feels like home. And then a snapshot uh, from their life. Rainbow on the outside, dumpster on the inside. Oh, man. Sadly, I think a lot of us relate deeply to the things that that you shared. And I suppose one of the reasons why I started the podcast is like, I can't be the cure for any of that, but I I can let you know that you are a part of a family of people that understand you. He may not be related. Uh, oh my God, did you hear my stomach? Maybe I should have eaten something before I hit record. Oh my God. I thought I was going to have to worry about Gracie making noise. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I'm a big fan of them. I've been, I've been doing therapy with them from the comfort of my home for many years and uh, I have a, a new therapist, as I've talked about many times, uh, named Heidi, who is helping me with my productivity. And I got to say, it's really working. I don't think I've been in such a creative, productive place in in years, and it feels really good. And uh, she she gave me some advice, uh, just simple kind of things to do, small goals to set, and uh, I'm very pleased. I'm very pleased. So uh, better help is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Uh, Give it a try. See why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp Online Therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And the Mental Illness Happy Hour listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash mental. We are sponsored this week by Workable. If you're having trouble finding people to hire, uh, Workable is a good choice. doesn't matter what size your company is. Maybe you're a gigantic conglomerate. Maybe you're a single guy selling coffee mugs at a state fair and you need some help. 
There are 46% more jobs being posted than before the pandemic, and there are 44% fewer candidates applying for each one. So you need to find the right candidate and hire them fast, and Workable can help. It accelerates every step of your hiring process from finding to hiring. It helps you cast the widest net possible by posting your jobs to all the top job boards, more than 200 total, with just one click. So whether you're hiring for your little your little mug shop or your giant conglomerate workable is exactly what you need to hire the right people fast. Start hiring today with a risk-free, risk-free, risk-free 15-day trial. And if you hire during the trial, which many do, it won't cost a thing. Just go to workable.com to start hiring. Workable is hiring made easy. This is uh, from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by Cinderella. And uh, she is a teenager and she writes, My mom could never understand my depression or my anxiety. In the parentheses, if you remember, I was the survey about my mother calling children in a mental ward little whiners. Uh, Today I had an anxiety attack and just five minutes later she sent me an interview of a woman who described the horrific experience of escaping North Korea. My mother sent me this podcast with her exact words being, quote, watch when you have some time for some perspective. Your fear of death is your love of life in reverse. I'm a kinky person. I didn't want to be... I'm I'm ashamed. A sexual being. Deeply ashamed. You are... I want to live fucking depressed. But how? I can't do this anymore. I will be uncomfortable so you will be comfortable. Is life just a series of perpetual losses? You're not depressed. We're black. There is no real chance for intimacy. We don't do that. Without risking being hurt. Push it all down. You can't go around it. Marlon, like we don't do mental health talk. Through is the only path. No one is ever alone. There's somebody else out there. Don't forget experiencing the same thing as you. That the places you feel most broken now you just gotta look for them. Will one day be your greatest strength. And when you find them, it's a great feeling. And I'm suddenly feeling horrible about <laughs> making that joke, but that's how far I will go to get a laugh because I am empty inside. Uh, you're in the right place. I'm here with Ali Vingiano. Did I pronounce that right? That's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, who is a writer, producer, performer. Uh, when your publicist reached out to me and said she is a writer on the morning show, I was like, yes, yes, and yes. Uh, my my girlfriend and I gobble up every episode of that show. It's so fucking good. Oh, Thank you. It is a wild ride. Is it? Yeah. I mean, just why? I mean, uh, like... oh, you mean the show? I thought you meant producing it. Oh, well, both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. Uh, you know, this is an understatement, but it's such a timely show, mm. and the way it deals with complicated issues with compassion and a biting sense of humor. It, it's just great. For people that don't know, it's on Apple uh, TV, and it stars Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, Steve Carell. You've made some appearances in it uh, I as haven't. Well. I haven't oh, acted okay. in the morning show. Okay. Um, I don't know where I read that. I always get bad information. I want to know where you read that. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I wish. Um, and you have put videos online uh that i assume you wrote and produced your yourself uh that are so funny and smart 
uh, the when things don't go as planned, which mm. has had millions of views, is so. It's about uh, I'm not spoiling anything, but about a woman who gets pregnant and decides to to have an abortion, and um, you you handle it with uh, such a great touch. You know, you you seem to be somebody who really loathes saccharin. <laughs> Thank you. I think, uh, yeah, I think that is true. And I think I um, really love mixing tones in pieces and tackling things that are a little tougher with some poignancy and levity. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're, uh, in that piece in particular, the intimacy through you and your uh, your friend, it's implied. Mm -hmm. It's never spoken. But um, they've they've kind of got this wall of of humor up, um, and as we were talking before we started recording, you were saying that vulnerability is is something that's that's difficult uh, for you. That's that, that, that's a challenge. And I think that's a a great topic to talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, I was saying to Allie before we started recording that you know one of the things that makes for a good episode here is people getting vulnerable. And you said sometimes that's a challenge for you. And I said, well, that's a great place <laughs> to start because I think for a lot of us, we're afraid that if we expose our truth, our authentic selves, we're going to be judged and there's going to be some kind of mess we're going to have to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, talk talk about uh, vulnerability. It's Yeah, it's so interesting because when I was driving here, I was just like, thinking you know it's hard sometimes to do podcasts because i'm like you just say things out loud and then you drive home and you're like what did i say was it stupid like is everyone gonna hate it and thinking about going on a mental health podcast and talking about my mental health of which i have many things to talk about um vulnerability really came to mind because because being doing this podcast was starting to make me feel vulnerable and it was bringing up a lot of anxiety feelings of anxiety. Um, I've chosen a career in which vulnerability is so necessary. And throughout my journey creating, you know, videos, short films, writing, performing, uh, it's something I face over and over again. When I first, I remember when I first released something that I had written and I acted in and I produced it and I had spent about a month editing it. I worked so hard on it. I put all my own money into it. And the night before I was going to release it, I had a panic attack. And I just thought, I can't, I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to put it out there. I made it. I learned a lot. And that's great. And that's where it's going to end. What were the specific thoughts? The specific thought was, everybody will know that this is the best I can do. And if it's not good, I will have failed. (laughs) This is me trying my hardest. I... You know, there's no one else I'm making this for. I'm doing it all on my own. I spent all my own time on it. This is my best. And the idea of having to perform at my best instead, you know, I was I think I was 24 instead of thinking of it as like, hey, I like did something all on my own. I like got my friends together. I wrote something I believed in. I I acted. I made myself vulnerable and I'm trying Um, those were thoughts I would never have, you know, it was, um, 
yeah, it was everyone will know that this is my full potential. And that was such a horrifying thought. Um, and I released the video the next day anyway, thank God. And, um, you know, it got, re- I, 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 I don't want to say that it was worth it because it, it, people responded to it well, because even if it hadn't responded to it well, I think it still like would have been worth it. But in the experience that I had, I, um, you know, it was watched by like, hundreds of thousands of people it got press it was written about on like Jezebel and Huffington Post and it got a Vimeo staff pick and it was this huge huge moment in my career which made me think oh I can actually really do this um but it releasing it was the hardest thing I'd yeah. done and which episode was it that was just a, it was a four minute video called X's it's uh it's a a, sh- a short film it's it's like a short film slash a sketch about someone running into their ex and mm. what they're really thinking is written in subtitles um and i just put it on my own youtube page and my own vimeo page mm-hmm. uh that device also which you use in job interview uh yes. is <laughs> so fucking funny so it, that oh i'm sorry yeah no i was just saying it's so it's so funny so that job interview is um that's that exists because after i made x's glamour reached out to me and asked me to make a web series for them so i made four or more videos for glamour because i made that one thing on my own you know yeah so isn't it funny how it, as performers or you know creative people there's this drive to want to be seen. And then when we get the opportunity, we're like, oh my God, I feel so naked. I don't, I don't want this. Yes, it is. The, it is the weirdest thing because I know I've wanted to be a performer since I was four years old. I wanted to be a screenwriter since I was in middle school. Like I know when I really connect to my true self, like I know that this is what I'm meant to do. Um, and I also, you know, X's was was not the most, it was the first thing that made me feel vulnerable. But then I went on to make things like When Things Don't Go As Planned. And I made a short film called When I Saw Him Again that, you know, I had made the the video about abortion with my friend Brittany Ashley. And like, I think making something with somebody else gives you this like support. And yes. um, when I saw him again, I, you know, I wrote it on my own. And it um it's about a woman who's like, basically runs into or or sees her rapist and then ends up confronting him. And it's a 22 minute short film. I act in it and I do drama. I act in a really dramatic role and I hadn't done that before. And, um, and that is like the most vulnerable, like that was another moment when, when I released it, I remember exactly where I was and I was just thinking, what the hell am I doing? And then I got such an incredible response of people being like, this is the first time I've really felt accurately represented in a video about this sort of content like I feel like so seen and like this gives me hope that I can get closure this gives me hope that like I can heal from this too and um you know it's so worth it I would release I would make myself vulnerable again like I'm driven to do it and um but I really do struggle at the same time with with the response I'm gonna get and I can definitely get caught up with just the idea of how other people are perceiving me and um you know <laughs> it's it's very it's scary for and, sure and what is the name of that one that one is called when i saw him again okay and that i made when i was at buzzfeed video and similarly to what you were just saying when i was at buzzfeed it was sort of like 
I had gone from making things on my own to now having this huge audience and people were starting to follow me and like, uh, and I started thinking about the way I was presenting myself and like how to be authentic and how to be myself and like just all of those ideas of self presentation. Um, as you're discovering who you are, as I had no idea who I was. Like, I really think I was a late bloomer. I think, um, I think I really didn't know who I was until much later in my life. And I mean, I'm young still, but like, you know, um, I did not know who I was when I was at, at that point. And I was trying to figure it out and making art's a great way to do that. But I think I got really caught up in, um, you know, I, I can't imagine being a child star because I, I just oh. I would I would not have I would not be able to survive it yeah. because that idea of like who I am coupled with who do I want to present as or how, how do other people see me can really poison your brain really? and detract from you finding your authentic self. Yeah. What if you're comfortable talking about what childhood was like, what mm -hmm. home life was like, kind of what your view of yourself and how you related to the world was like when you were when you were growing up mm -hmm. um like where do i start where do people start <laughs> uh let's start with this let's start with some snapshots that you think are kind of emblematic of um your experience uh your emotional life as a as a kid whether they're victories or painful memories or just things that stick in your mind for some odd reason it's weird it's weird how sometimes we'll we'll remember the most seemingly mundane uh things that's true i you know i had a good childhood i was raised north of new york city and um my um like there, there's a lot of memories, but that come to mind. Did like, you feel like you fit in at school? So fitting in is definitely a big thing for me because I, um, I never really felt like I fit in growing up anywhere. Um, it always sounds silly to bring this up now because I've had a gluten allergies. I've had celiac disease since I was like two years old and it oh. sounds silly to like bring it up now because especially in LA, like I can go into about anywhere like any diner and eat a great meal but growing up um you know it took years for my parents to figure out what I was I was sick all the time as a kid nobody knew what a gluten allergy was nobody knew what gluten was and when you're growing up food is such a crucial part of bonding and experience and you know the birthday parties at school and the birthday parties at your friends' houses, and, and I, being allergic to pasta as an Italian. I know, oh my I know. God. Later on, when I finally went to Italy <clears throat> with my family, um, Italy had like gluten-free food everywhere because apparently it's very it's very popular among Mediterranean people because they overeat so much gluten. So, um, but yes, it was very hard, and I couldn't eat like pizza at the birthday parties or the birthday cake or like, and. All the parent, like if parents didn't know how to feed me and my own parents, it put a lot of stress on them because I think it was harder for my mom than it was for me. But my mom always felt like, you know, I remember there was a birthday party at my friend's Emily's house and um, I, my parents, we grew up in a neighborhood that was very, there was a lot of wealth, but we did, we did not have, like, we were fine. We were totally fine, but we did not have the wealth of my friends and, mm -hmm. and some of my friends and, um, her mom brought out this like huge birthday cake that was probably like hundreds of dollars. And like, 
I didn't have a response to it, but my mom just started crying. And like, mm. I think knowing my mom, knowing how hard it was for my mom put a lot onto me. And, um, and so then as I got older, I think fitting in, I think I was so desperate to fit in because like, I didn't want to be like the weird kid. I didn't want to like be the weird one who like had the thing and no one wanted to hang out with her because like we could only go to these places or like, so I never brought up my allergy. Like I, I just ignored it. We would just, I would go with my friends to get like pizza after school and just like not eat. And like, so I think I was always, I think that, and then some other things too, um, just like carrying some emotional stuff uh, for my parents, I think, I um, always was very too desperate to fit in and often with people who were not good friends to me. I definitely had friends growing up who I was very willing to be the one who we could all laugh at or like to be like the butt of the joke because I just wanted people to like me and do whatever necessary to get people to like me. Um, It's also worth mentioning that my dad is a, a Vietnam veteran. And, um, you know, just the way that a combat veteran and he was drafted and he's a psychologist and he's an amazing, amazing human being who, you know, he ran a psychology department out of VA for years. But, you know, there is a lot of PTSD and um, that he's worked through like beautifully, but not until, you know, later in his life. But um so there is some generational trauma in my family, too. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of times we think that the PTSD uh, is contained within the person who no, yeah. experiences that. And uh, um, in the first or second year of the podcast, we had a guest on who came on with his father who was a Vietnam vet. Wow. And, and they talked uh, very openly about the effect that it that it had uh on on both of them you know the hyper vigilance the like every every 4th of July i think oh my god the poor veterans the poor veterans i know i know absolutely like 4th of July is um people get very upset about dogs <laughs> and i do yes. care for dogs i am an animal lover but um mm. i i do think that the conversation about uh, veterans is always like muted a little bit. Um, but yes, it's awful. And also like, yeah, I mean, I remember we did go see fireworks a couple times as an adult. And once my dad did have a reaction to it and then sort of just stopped going and, um, also they're horrible for the environment. No, are they? I never thought about that. They really are like the day after 4th of July in LA, like you should never go outside. Yeah. I remember my partner like went for a run on July 5th this morning and I was like, please don't go. <laughs> You're going to die. <laughs> the chemicals are like horrible. Yeah. So um, you talked about struggling to fit in when you were a kid or worrying about being rejected. Um, were there particular things that you, that you got picked on for? Um, I think that... Like, yeah, I mean, I think, like, my, the food stuff was definitely one of the things of just, like, gluten-free food, like, was inedible at the time. Like, it was not like it is now. Like, so there were, like, definitely jokes there. And then I think, to like, certain things about, like, physical appearance stuff that, you know, was, like, when I was probably in middle school that other people 
that I'm sure everyone has experienced in some capacity. But um, other than that, I think it I'm trying to think of like when I was older in high school. I mean, I was very like I wasn't full on Reese Witherspoon in election, but I was very (laughs) um, my 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 high school superlative was done most for the school, if that sums it up. That sums it up. (laughs) So I was a little bit of like uh, raising my hand in the class, wanting to answer a lot of questions type Mm. of type of kid. Um, And. I think that I definitely went through like phases of like who I was friends with and like the groups that I was part of. But I think that ultimately I'm tr- I think I've like blacked it out because I'm trying to remember like, OK, what what was I bullied about? And like, what were my friends making fun of me for? And I literally like can't even think of it. I just know the mm-hmm. feeling that I felt. But I think my issue is like a lot of girls experience this. Um, I think sometimes I'm sure men do as well, but like when it's not like I had bullies, like I was in a group that was like, I was not bullied by like the popular kids. It was more like my friends. I often were, was friends with people who were not nice to me. And I thought that that's what friendship meant. So it was a lot easier for me to like, want to be at home and and writing and like reading and like working on a screenplay. Like I wrote my first script when I was a freshman in high school, that was like 120 pages and like, or hanging out with my parents, like that was just easier for me than like going out and trying to make friends. And so as I've gotten older, I think making friends, I've really had to actively shift like the meaning of friendship and what I want from friends and like that that's safe and beautiful and like all of that stuff. And do you have friends that you're able to really truly let your walls down around? I do. And one of them is a woman I met on the morning show. And we like were talking about this recently, like in June, we went to like Joshua or, you know, Joshua Tree for a weekend and about how as you get older, it's hard to have those friends who you just like, want to like, order Thai food and watch movies and like the real friendship you had as a kid where you like had sleepovers rather than just like getting lunch and catching up and how deeply we were both like that is like what we miss and like it's harder especially after COVID and readjusting to friends you know like to having those really close friends um and I am I am lucky that I do now have I don't have as big of a community as I crave right now um and that comes from both my own my own inability to be vulnerable when I was younger around my community, but also I moved across the country like three times in five years and really was like such like a careerist and really prioritized that. Um, but I am really lucky that I have like really a few really good friends who I feel like I can really um, uh, not only be vulnerable with, but like um, who know who, who I can tell what I need. Are there any moments you feel, uh, that, that you can recall with a friend where you are like, that's a moment of, of being with a friend that I want to be the bar for mm. where maybe one of you helped each other or you just the walls came down or maybe you talked about something or you said something to each other yeah that's a good question um or is it just kind of a general vibe with with 
No, I mean, there's definitely like, you know, there's just, I'm trying to think of something like the most meaningful thing, because there's definitely moments that come to mm-hmm. mind, like, um, I have been going through a lot this year with like, um, sort of dealing with a sick parent and my friends have been so crucial in that, especially one friend of just reminding me that she wants to be there for me and that it's not a burden and that it's a joy and that like she would do anything for me. And like, I think she's also a friend who like, when I broke up with my ex-boyfriend, like for the first time, <laughs> like came over. That explains a lot. That explains yeah. a lot. Um, oh, and by the way, I want to plug uh, the end of us. Oh, thank which is, you. Uh, which is uh, a film that Ali uh, stars in. It's a, a rom com about. I only saw the trailer for it, but it looks r- really funny and really spot on about the difficulty of deciding whether or not to break up with somebody. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Um, and thank you. It, it was so fun to make that movie. And um, But yeah, like that was a friend who was there for me like as soon as she found out and came over with ice cream and wine and just sat with me. So it, it is it is really special to have friends like that. Um, it's nice, too, to have a friend that just comes and listens, can be comfortable in silence, doesn't try to fix you, doesn't try to change the emotion that you're having. Yeah. Oh, and I'm remembering that friend also picked me up from the airport because I was in New York. We had I broken we had broken up and then I went to New York and then flew back and she was like, hey, I'm going to pick you up. And I was like, this is so nice of you. And she's like, well, I didn't want you to reach out to him and ask for a ride. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, she really knows you. Wow, you're a good friend. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, let's segue into romantic relationships. Um, What what is the uh, what are the hurdles uh, that you find yourself or the patterns you find yourself repeating, if if any? Sure. I am. um, So the fear of judgment that I had growing up and like I I talked a little bit about that and um, I I am hesitant to talk too much about my family because like I love my family so much and I'm so protective of them. But (laughs) um, I had a lot of criticism growing up and I a lot of fear of judgment, fear of what other people are going to think was sort of embedded into me through one of my parents. And I think that has been as an adult, something I've realized is so I have two emotions, two struggles. I think earlier in my life, it was just I would never pick people who I was who I liked, who were good for me, who I actually felt a connection to, you know, I want, I, it was too scary to actually make myself available in that way and to commitment in that way. I was like, I'd rather just date people I can have fun with for like six months or a year. And like, then like, just know that you're not right for me. So I don't actually have to conceptualize the idea of like marriage and partnership. And I think it's also hard to, when, when you're comfortable with, um, criticism being in your environment uh it's hard to respect somebody that loves you and sees you for for who you are it's 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 really hard absolutely to accept that love and to accept that yeah that's very real and i definitely feel like i picked people who either didn't totally see me or um who i knew were not the right people for me Mm -hmm. Um, and I and I also would would like to um, add that uh, 
you, you know, the parent that is critical, you know, a lot of times I think, you know, we want to, we want to demonize them. And the, the more this topic has been talked about on the show, the more I've realized that it was the parent's way of believing they're protecting their child mm-hmm. from wandering into an unsafe world, that they need to help them become aware of the things that other people are going to attack them for. So it, it, it can be coming from a loving place, and I imagine that's where it probably came from. Completely. Like, I know it was all on their own fear of the way that they were perceived in the world. And, um, you know, I think this is so linked to my career because I, like I said, I've wanted to do my work since I was a kid, but, um, there was so much fear instilled in me of like, nobody makes it in screenwriting. You need to have connections in order to be an actress. You need to be like, you know, crazy, beautiful and stick thin. And like, you know, this, it's too competitive. You don't know anyone in this world. Like, why don't you be a lawyer? A lawyer is a lot like being an actress because you have to perform like, Mm -hmm. um, you should be a doctor. You know, I, there was so much fear instilled that I would not succeed. And I actually studied politics in school, despite knowing, you know, what I wanted to do. And, um, then when I was in my early 20s, my dad was like, if you don't do this now, you're going to regret it forever. Just try. And so I did. And like, thank God. But I know that it was coming from a place of wanting to protect me and not wanting me to fear yeah. to have the rejection. Um, but now it is very hard. Uh, <laughs> and my dad was the, was the same way. Really? My mom was encouraging. And my dad was like, oh, you're so thin skinned. Mm. You know, it's it's I. I worry for you. And probably the first three years of doing stand-up, I was fueled by spite. (laughs) Totally. I get that. Yeah. It's so funny. I cut you off. What were you going to say? I think I was going to say that... What was I going to say? I don't remember. (laughs) That... um, Just, I think, like, there was... Being uh, encouraged... Yes, I think my my dad encouraged me and when I was in my early 20s and I and I did pursue what I really wanted. I think I know that the criticism and judgment was coming from a a place of wanting to protect me. I think it did it has Oh, what I was going to say is that I texted my like I texted my family. Well, it doesn't matter. Or it was just funny because I, now I'm so aware of these things and I can have I they, I don't let them I'm not as penetrable, Mm -hmm. but like I texted, like I saw my movie in the theaters and like it it felt so amazing to like see it on the big screen and hear the laughter. And like, and I said, which I felt like was a really like special thing to say, like it felt like where I was supposed to be. Like it Mm -hmm. wasn't like, you know, and, and the response was like, um, how did the audience respond? And I was mm-hmm. like, they liked it. And then it was like, great. Like, and I was like, oh, this is just such like they a little thing. They don't want you to be deluded like, and of, disappointed. Of like, you don't care about how it felt for me. You just want right. to know how, if other people liked it. Yeah. So it's just like, um, but, but I think it has penetrated me now in terms of, I'm, I work through it a lot and I work, do a lot of stuff to like get back to self. Um, but there is that, st- that there, I still do have that fear of like, well, what are other people perceiving, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not debilitating, it's not debilitating, but uh, it exists. And I think in relationships, I really need to work on my own, like, 
because I'm so critical, like I can be a very critical partner and I have so much self-awareness that I really try not to be, but it still like seeps out. And it's like something that I do work on where it's like, I don't want to try to change my partner. Like I need to accept them. And like the more I change them, the more I'm going to change myself and hurt myself and hate this and not, Mm -hmm. it's not going to work out. Like it's just all about acceptance, but it is something that, you know, I have to remind myself of. And and that's where it's so easy, I think, to fool ourselves into thinking, I'm just being funny. I've right. got a I've got a sense of humor and you don't realize I am just fucking chipping away at this person. And we don't even know sometimes that we're trying to control them. Right. We think we're just being real with them and we have this gift of humor in our relationship <laughs> and we can't see that, that we're we're chipping away at their self-esteem yeah. and and our intimacy exactly right it's yeah. so much uh, oh it is a tool for putting a barrier between you and your partner it mm-hmm. is a tool to distance yourself yeah so i think that's very real and i think that it's sort of taught to us in different elements of our life that that gender dynamic is very typical also like the critical wife the critical mom the like you know you're always trying you're a stupid husband you always have to fix them they're always doing something wrong and I do think ultimately as I've experienced the world it has been a learning lesson of if you cannot accept someone for who they are neither of you will ever be happy in the relationship move on or accept them yes you know and you know, it's also difficult know, knowing when when to make a stand, mm-hmm. when to say, you know, this is not okay, and to understand the difference between that and trying to change them. Right. Yes, of course. Like, you still have your boundaries, you still have the things that you need in a relationship and that you want, and it's like, it can totally be a thing of like, hey, like, I need more of this, and I don't feel like you're giving that to me, and like... When does that become (laughs) you trying to change them? And I I think one of the most valuable tools is, uh, you know, understanding that there's almost nothing we can't express if we can find the right way to express it with the right words and the right tone of voice at the right time. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard and there's, it's such trial and error getting to that place and as you kind of mentioned, expressing our needs, especially in terms of our feelings, rather than saying, hey, you're not this, you're not that, you do too much of this, you always do that, rather than saying, I, I feel really alone right now. I feel far away from you, and I don't want to feel that. I want to feel closer to you. Yeah, I think that we put so much onto the fault of our partners and so often it is that you're working through something on your own and like the way you're perceiving them is something that needs to be the discussion. Um, I think COVID, for those who did have a partner during COVID and who mostly hung out with one person for a year or more, um, I think like... I'm just like waiting. I just like, I'm like, are we all massively codependent now? Because I definitely am. (laughs) Like, I just think so much of it became like, if I'm not happy, then like, like it's this group thing. And like, I've had to do so much work to come back to like, okay, this is me. These are the things that I do for myself. Like, these are my feelings. Like the, you know, just like so much separating myself from my partner and um, like, 
learning that every emotion that I have is not related to the relationship. (laughs) (laughs) That is such an important topic and so hard. Uh, I think until you're in an intimate relationship or at least close in proximity, uh, you, you don't realize what a mirror. And I think a lot of people die never realizing that their relationships are mirrors Mm -hmm. for what is going on with them. It's so easy to just say, up, done with this. Let's move on to the next. And when it becomes uncomfortable and I, there's too many things I don't want to talk about or decisions I want to make, uh, just burn it onto the next. And yeah, then, and then you do the same things all over again. All over you're again. actually doing the internal work. Yeah. Um, have uh, support groups ever been something that you've uh, considered or tried? Does it hold any allure for you? That's interesting. I've never really been to a support group. I've been to like an Al-Anon meeting, um, but that was really to support a friend. And I I did actually reach out to support groups like a couple months ago for like caretakers um, because I had become a caretaker in my life and uh, for uh, and I just wasn't ready for it and it was very overwhelming. But um, I didn't actually end up going because it was like they sort of like ghosted me to be honest. It was like oh my God. it was like it was through. I was like emailing with this woman, and it was like through UCLA. And I guess like you had to have like a connection to UCLA to like be in order to do it. And it was all on Zoom. And I was just sort of like, you know what, this is fine. And then my life, I did feel a lot, a big shift in. Um, I, I was in a really dark place, and then something happened where I just felt this this weight lift, and mm. then I sort of stopped pursuing it. Yeah. You know, one. I think one of the pitfalls of being in a profession where you feel like your success is tied to standing out mm-hmm. and being exceptional is that we lose sight of the fact that the best moments as human beings is when we feel one of many. Yeah. I really feel that it is true. And I do imagine that support groups are really a beautiful um, way to feel that. I had sort of an interesting, this is is not directly related to your thought here, but it it reminded Mm -hmm. me of it. Um, I spent a lot of time in my 20s, like rigorously pursuing success at the assumption that it would fulfill me and make me happy. And at some point in my life, when I was in my mid-ish, I think I was like 26, I was like, I don't want to wake up and like be 35 and like be really successful and be miserable and have no idea how to be happy. And I just sort of saw that path coming for myself. And I um, had done a lot of traveling when I was younger, solo traveling. And I it was always what made me feel most connected to myself and most at peace and Um, I would always go and like, you know, I, when I was 21, I spent like a summer alone in India, like meditating and doing yoga and then came back and didn't do yoga for like six years. And like, I just sort of had these like two different existences. And, um, in my late twenties, I, uh, I had just come off morning show season one. 
finally for the first time in my life like had some stability and money and I took a month and I went to travel in Indonesia alone and I did the whole thing again where I like meditated and did yoga and then when I came back I was like okay I need to now do integration something I've never done and I like did a yoga teacher training for six months in LA like began having this daily practice to try to sort of pursue meaning in life outside of my six my career and um Although, of course, it's tied to something else that is, you know, teaching yoga, which is also a career. But uh, I really tried to do some work to um, get closer to who I was as a human and to find value in my life. And then that was it ended in, in February of 2020 and then COVID happened. And I was grateful that I had this practice now. And at the same time, it it showed me like how little I knew how to take care of myself and I really had no idea how to take care of myself despite having done that work like um was in a place of just like without like a work schedule without a routine without like having a promise of like achieving something I was like it was just so hard for me to learn like how to take like just give a shit about myself. Right. What are my needs other than money? Right. And yes, like how, like, except for surviving and except for achieving. And um, so it's been, and then, and then, yeah. And it's, and then I guess finding a partner who didn't value success in any of the same way that I did and really valued his life based on like, his friends and his, you know, family and his like hobbies. And I was like, oh, there's a whole other way that people live. <laughs> and it seems pretty healthy. And um, so I only I, I told this massively, you know, I told this story, this tangent, sorry. Um, but just based on the idea that like finding a, a community, finding meaning in your life outside of the work you do is, yes. I think, so important. It it blew my mind the first time I was uh, the the thought was laid on me in a support group that I am not necessarily just my actions that mm -hmm. I don't need to do anything to be worthy of love and this person said every morning this is so fucking uncomfortable she said I want you to look in the mirror and say I do enough. I have enough, I am enough. Mm. And it felt so cheesy, but I needed to be reminded of that because I always felt like me on my own, still not doing anything, I'm not enough. We're so conditioned to feel that way. Yeah. It's so hard to just know that like you already have everything you need. I know those things now feeling them is a whole other story, right? Like knowing the, knowing it's a reality and actually deeply feeling it is, that's the hard part. Yeah. So. <laughs> what, what other struggles uh, mm -hmm. do you find recurring in your life? Um, Past or present? Yeah, I have, a, I definitely have a lot of anxiety and I have, um, uh, a massive problem with insomnia, which is my personal hell. I think it's actually might be related to something medical, which is really exciting for me. I finally did a sleep study and um, it turns out I might be like some light form of sleep apnea is related to it, but it doesn't 
but I but also it's uh, falling asleep is the issue, and that's what is not related to sleep apnea. So it's oh, Jesus um, Christ, Gracie, could you make more fucking noise <laughs> during an interview? I've been trying to ignore it, not mention it. I know it's, it's so... <laughs> very cute. Oh though. yeah. Yeah, uh, sleep apnea can be related to depression, mm. um, hypertension, high blood pressure, and obviously, you know, insomnia. Yeah, I definitely have a lot of insomnia and anxiety. Um, are there, and so falling asleep is hard. And Are there particular thoughts that go through your brain or particular subject matter as you're laying trying to fall asleep it's a lot of thinking about the future and thinking about the past and regret regret is a huge thing for me and i think um it's i'm very much an overthinker so trying to turn my brain off is very hard it's hard to surrender right like this is my it's hard to let go and it's hard to actually i think surrender is like a huge thing that i work on and i think you know something I've been feeling recently is just you have all these dreams of like what your life is going to be like and then you're there you're living your life and nothing feels like you thought it would feel and I think it's just a lot of coming to terms with your reality and acceptance and so I think like it's not like I have also falling asleep is the anxiety right like if I haven't if it's two hours I've been laying in my bed and I'm not sleeping all I'm thinking about is like I really need to sleep this I'm is killing me I'm tomorrow. gonna be exhausted tomorrow I'm not gonna be able to wake up I just need to fall asleep okay let me count to 10 okay I counted to 10 I'm still awake let me keep t-. you know it's like mm-hmm. those constant thoughts of trying to fall asleep that's where the surrender comes in and mm-hmm. it's really really hard for me to actually um yeah just get from that place to a place of sleep and i feel like like last night i didn't sleep at all and then i start feeling like i'm operating at like 10 percent of where i should be and then everyone's like oh you should try melatonin and i'm like yeah i know <laughs> yeah. you have now tried it oh i've tried it i've tried everything oh yeah, yeah. uh this is going to sound really cheesy but something that helps me occasionally is i'll think about you know whatever the benevolent force in the universe is that you know, is the source of love or goodness or that good feeling we get when we do something nice for somebody else. I imagine myself laying in the palm Mm. of that force. And that helps me surrender to what is. And it reminds me that I'm not alone in this journey through the universe and that there is an energy out there that, that I can connect to. Um, And, I just, I found it very comforting. And a lot of times I'll forget to do that. But um, sometimes when I remember to do that, I can, I can feel the anxiety leave, leave my body. That's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, I, I feel that there are certain meditations and I've been doing a lot of yoga nidra, which is the sleep uh, yoga for sleep, basically. Um, And those things can help me, but it's also, I can do those things and then go to bed and still have insomnia. So it's sort of hit or miss for me. Um, But I I, I am a huge proponent of visualization and meditation Mm -hmm. and yoga. And um, I think my struggle is just like creating an actual daily practice for myself and a routine and maintaining like staying in that place because mm-hmm. when I have the, like I can feel really good and then all the anxiety rushes back in and you have to really remind yourself that you are not your anxiety, that this is an experience that's happening to you. This is not who you are because I start feeling like I was doing so well and now right. like I'm what's happening. I'm in this place again. It's like, I, I feel like I have, you know, um, 
I like failed these at two yoga. Different selves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And it's like, no, it's just that I'm experiencing this anxiety right now. Right. And that doesn't mean that that's who I am. But coming back to who you are and separating from your anxiety, like that has been a really hard thing for me. I get massive vulnerability hangovers. Um, How do you mean? If I feel like I've shared too much or been too vulnerable, um, I or done poorly at something, I have like, it's not a full panic attack, but I get a massive amount of anxiety where I'm, I, I go to the worst case scenario mm-hmm. and I am sort of um, catastrophize of like, I have done this thing and I have ruined everything. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm in the process of writing and directing, or I, I wrote and now I'm trying to direct my first feature and um, which is actually sort of based or, or not based on, but explores the same themes, is uh, derivative a little bit from the one I saw him again, that short I made at BuzzFeed. And I was interviewing the cast and casting it. And the first interview I did ever, or the first meeting I took with an actress, I had felt like I had shared way too much about myself. I'm the director here. Like I'm the one in leading the meeting. And I just felt like I had totally messed up. She would never want to do it. I like ruined everything. Like, like I, and I was like full on like panicking after for a whole day. And then they were like, I ended up casting her. They were like, she loved you. She wants to do it. She told her agent, she thinks she gets the part and it, she thinks she got the part. And it's just that the reality I create in my head is so different from the reality that exists sometimes. Uh, Um, It's, it's, but, but I don't know that. Like, and why we don't put our crystal ball away. I, I, I have no idea. I suppose because in some way it protected us as, as kids, maybe it's an evolutionary thing. Um, What, if any, catastrophizing thoughts do you think you'll have after we're done recording? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. I mean, like, look, I think that I will probably go over certain lines that I said and be feeling like I shouldn't have said this or I should have said more or I didn't say enough or if only I had done this, it would have been a better interview. And I could go either way. I could leave here feeling like I didn't do enough and I was too boring I could leave here feeling like I overshared. I'm going to have to text you on my drive home and let you know, actually, after I've driven home. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, I have loved this conversation. Thank you. Really. um, I I appreciate your your vulnerability and being willing to talk about the, the, the things that are difficult if not to talk about, to find words to express, because sometimes I think that's an even bigger hurdle than getting vulnerable, especially for a perfectionist, is I'm not going to express this right, so why express it at mm, all? Yeah. I don't know the totality of the truth around this subject, so why investigate it? You yeah. Know? Uh, I think which is you know, maybe some type of form of control you know, for the catastrophizer. Um I think so. And I think that um, it is about control, ultimately. I think that it, what's so interesting about this, the work as a performer or writer, director, is you are making yourself so vulnerable all the time, but it is through this protection of art where there is some separation between you actually sitting down and talking to one person versus it is a little bit easier for me to make a make a short film 
and put it out in the world than it is to sit down and be like, so let me tell you about what happened to me and, you know, my experience with PTSD or whatever it is. And I think like when I, this feature that I'm, that I'm now working on, I, um, it is somewhat personal to me. And so part of the pitching process to financiers is like, here's my lookbook, here's the personal connection, here's who I am. And then every time you get a rejection, it's like, cool, I just laid everything out on the table. You were like, no thanks. And it doesn't hurt as bad because it just feels like this, like, I mean, it hurts, but it's like, it's like when people tweet like all of these insane things and you're like, you need to go to therapy, but it's just a lot easier to go tweet it (laughs) than to go to therapy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So. Uh, Anything else you'd like to talk about before we wrap up? I mean, I... I don't know. I mean, I can dig deeper into things we've discussed. I can talk about new things, um, but there's nothing particularly that I'm like, you know, I, oh, you know what I will talk about? And then again, if you have any follow-up questions to anything I've mentioned, we can go dig deeper, but um, is acting in the end of us. I hadn't acted in like two years and we all moved into this Airbnb and we basically had a very rough script and we were improvising most of the movie and I was shocked at how terrified it was to be that vulnerable, not only improvising and not knowing, you know, hoping that I was going to be good enough, um, but acting, you have to be so vulnerable to get to these emotional places and to really let go and not think about what do I look like? Am I being stupid? Like to really be present in the moment. Mm -hmm. Is my choice ridiculously bad? Yes. And I, I am making choices and, um, and also, like, we didn't have hair and makeup. We were just showing up and, and putting on whatever and, and shooting. And so, like, separating from worrying about those, you know, is my hair okay? And just being present in the moment. It was really, really hard at first. And I I do think that being present is, like, a, a big struggle for me. I mean, I think having a dog is, like, what a great way to stay present. You have to stay oh present. Oh, my God. So good. Um, and there's other things that I try to do to be present in my life. But it is, like, when you do have anxiety, um, it is something that's really tough because you're constantly living in the past and the present, uh, past and the future. So acting, I was shocked at how vulnerable I had to be to do it and how hard but ultimately rewarding it was. Yeah. You, we can cut this out if you would uh, like, and if you don't want to talk about this topic, and I've kind of debated on whether or not to bring it up, but you mentioned that you had done a short about mm-hmm. experiencing date rape. Well, yes, I did do a short about that. Um, I, it's so funny. I've never thought of it as date rape, but I guess that is what the short, that is what it is in the short. Um, but... Yeah, that is what it is, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I did do a short about that. You can cut these <laughs> space out too. But um, yeah, I made that in 2016. And that came to me because I I really just had this idea of a woman following her rapist around and like seeing his day and seeing what he was doing and what his life was. And um, that's just this image that came to me. And from that, I wrote this short film I had experienced an assault gray area. I wouldn't call it a date rape because I was not dating this person and we weren't on a date and I had met him that night. And um, it was just uh, 
sort of crazy, like, just like bad, like at the time, because I was, now we have language for this. This was 2007. There was no language for it. Um, it was just like, oh, a bad experience. That was creepy. That was scary. Oh, he sucks. Like, you know, it wasn't really something that I had the language for. Then, um, when I was in India, when I was 21, I had a physical assault that was no, the opposite of a gray area, literally hiking. Someone attacked me attempted rape i i escaped i had like pepper spray and like <laughs> i um ran down this mountain for an hour and a half and good lord it was horrifying um having that experience sort of made me realize i had never processed my other experience it was sort of this because i had a lot of ptsd from that experience like i was really afraid to walk home alone at night after i got back to college i didn't really i told my parents about it i told some friends about it but like i hadn't processed it i like went to see a therapist at the counseling session and are you I, talking about the first no uh, the india okay. yeah um yeah i went to see a therapist and I was like, I'm having a hard time adjusting back from my trip. And she was like, Oh, that's normal. And then I just like, never, <laughs> <Jet lag. laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, I don't think I can do this. Um, so because of like sort of those physical PTSD experiences I was having, I, um, some of them became like, I was afraid to go into a public bathroom. Like I was afraid to be in an elevator with a man, just like not feeling safe in the world. And, um, I, sort of realized like part of it was linked to this other experience and that one was much harder for me to accept because like it was like there there were no rule I was like oh I can't be upset about this because it wasn't that bad like I can't like this couldn't be traumatic like even though I knew it was traumatic it was like I didn't give myself the permission to feel in the same way when I was attacked by a stranger it's like this is like there's no great. denying the there's category no, that's in right there's no denying it no one will make me feel bad i mean they will they'll be like why were you going on sure. hiking in india you're a fucking what were you idiot. wearing but when like, you were right. hiking <laughs> oh just some sexy boots and <laughs> some daisy dukes <laughs> right exactly not yeah so i mean i was i was like it was just so much easier to classify that experience and yeah. to have the words to talk about it and so i um in my early 20s, I was just grappling with so much fear and so much distrust of men and made horrible choices about who I dated. And um, I just felt like also at the same time in India, I wasn't raped. I was nothing happened. So it was hard to even talk about that because I was like, yeah, it wasn't a big deal. Nothing happened. Like, But, this, but the possibility of it, I think, destroys something in us the same as if it had actually happened because the amount of safety in the world in that moment is basically the same it it's yes. fucking chaos and horror yes completely i the feeling of i am about to be raped this is about to happen to me i mean it was a horrible feeling and i still deeply you know remember that feeling um i can't say it was just as bad as if it had happened but it was definitely something that i was allowed to have feelings about and right. i think at the time it just felt it took so long for me to admit that this was something that it was okay to be struggling with and that the ptsd i was having um was 
I mean, at some point, I just couldn't ignore it anymore. Right. You know, like at some point, I was like, okay, this is disrupting my life. Like, I need to ride this elevator to get to work. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I said, I had a dad who lots of experience with PTSD, and you know, I ended up talking to him about it, and he. And I went to therapy and I made that short film. And um, the short film, again, is based on the more gray area experience I had. I wouldn't say gray area, but just... Um, at the time, it was a gray area to you. Yeah. Like at the time, it was something that I didn't know how to express my... That it was traumatizing and um, that it was, you know... It took me a long time to use the word assault or to feel that I had ownership over the experience. And so... Um, I ultimately, you know, the short film is about healing and it's about that healing is possible and that, you know, trauma does come in and out of your life and unpredictable ways or PTSD comes in and out of your mm -hmm. life in unpredictable ways, but it is something that you can heal from. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I wrote this the film version of it a couple of years ago um, and now we're trying to take it out and it's like I... It's funny because I feel so disconnected from it. I'm like, I feel like another person wrote it because I feel like there has, there is this element of me where I feel like I am so, like, I've so moved on. Like, I feel like my whole 20s, plus I wrote on Morning Show, which is about mm -hmm. me too. And it's about, you know, season one, it's so much about um, the way that men, I mean, men and women, but but specifically this one male character, like, <laughs> abuse power and mm -hmm. take advantage of women and power dynamics and sexual assault and um, so I just felt like oh, my whole 20s was like about this. And now I'm like moving on to something else. And it's sort of nice to have that distance from yeah. the topic as I uh, and that perspective yeah. as I delve into it. You know, one of the things that I think is so important for somebody who's experienced something, especially if it's in a gray area, uh, is reminding ourselves that it's not about whether you would win a court case right but rather what am i feeling mm -hmm. you know absolutely like trying to distance yourself from how are other people going to perceive this and do i have the right to feel this way when so many worse things have happened to other people mm -hmm. and if you can try to quiet those and just sit with how does this feel for me how did this make me feel violated how does that impact my view on the world how you know like why, how is this hurtful to me and just sort of allowing yourself to feel that way and um and how can i be a good friend to myself how can, mm -hmm. how how would i treat my best friend if they yeah. had gone through this and then do that yeah. for ourselves, which is so fucking hard. I know that you interviewed Chanel Miller, um, mm -hmm. who I loved her interview and I love her book. And in her book, she has a line where, you know, um, she, her, the, the, the man who assaulted her, uh, you know, there wasn't like, um, it was like a digital penetration and he, it wasn't like, and, and there's this line about how he, doesn't get to not be called a rapist just because he ran out of time. And I thought that that was such a good, powerful way for her to like take ownership over her experience where it's like, I'm going to use the word rapist because what he did to me, although it's not what we consider rape in a typical sense of like penetration, it was a complete violation. It was, it, it was, it was a rape and 
he would have done worse things if he wasn't stopped by two other people. So right. I think that like having to um, get you, you do get to categorize your own emotional response to things. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're going to win a court case or not. What matters is that you process mm-hmm. your trauma and that you process. Also, we all have so much different, tra- like it's not, nothing is isolated as an experience, right? Like the way that I experienced the things that happened to me are based on my childhood. They're based on the trauma that already maybe I had or specific things that are scary to me. Um, your every view of your self-worth. Exactly. Your autonomy view. over your body. Uh-huh. Excuses you make for gender or society right. or whatever. Yeah. Like for me, like saying no was like a thing I had never learned because it's like I'm a people pleaser. My job is to make other people happy. My job Mm -hmm. is to say yes. My job is to, you know, like those are things that so many young women learn when they're so young. And so like understanding and then you blame yourself so much because you're like, if only I was stronger, if only Mm -hmm. I could stand up for myself. And it's like, I think it's a big process of learning that like at the time, there was no other choice that could be made because I was a kid and I did not know how to make other choices. And I th- I wish for all women who experience, you know, things like this to have that self-compassion. If you could go back in time and talk to yourself the day after mm. or even during, mm-hmm. what, if anything, would you say to yourself and how, how do you think you would have reacted to hearing that it's okay if nothing comes to mind but mm-hmm. um i think the best thing i could have heard is that there was no other reality except for this one you know that like there 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 i think the best thing that i could have heard the day after was that this didn't happen because I made a bad choice. I think so much of that sitting in, if only I'd done this, if only I'd done that. What you learn in those moments is not to trust yourself. And you learn that you have bad judgments. And I think that really then impacts so much of your life of feeling like you, or at least for me, I think it really did, of feeling this, this, that, because I put myself in a situation where this happened, I can't trust my own choices. And so decision-making became very hard. Trusting that I had um, good judgment became hard. Um, And so I think I would tell myself that I – that it wasn't – see, it's so interesting because it's like I wanted to say it wasn't something specifically because of it wasn't that something that I did that that created the situation. Right. At the same time, I do feel like certain people are more vulnerable to things because of their personality. Hmm. So which is a separate subject. Exactly. From <laughs> that person being a rapist. Exactly. Yes, yes, right. yes, yes, yes. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you think you would have reacted hearing future you say that i mean i think that you really have to learn things on your own and i think it would have been hard for i think i would have heard it and i don't know if i could have accepted it um but i think 
it would have been nice to to feel that and to feel the compassion and to feel that it you know isn't something that's wrong with me that right. that is the reason <laughs> that caused this to happen um and even that you're not able to take it in right. and give weight to it right now right you know the 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 shame it just morphs from one thing to the the other the shame that this happened to me to the shame that i'm experiencing these symptoms to the shame that um you know, I can't find the right way to express it, or I'm not healing correctly, or it's taking me too long, or I'm being a, a baby or a drama queen, or I'm, you know, on and on and on mm-hmm. and on. And I think people who've never experienced violation don't understand that it, 5% of it is the memory of the event itself, and 95% of it is the ripples. That is so real. I mean, it's so true that, like, I remember going back home and reading my journal from after it happened and sort of sitting with the memory of that I had just written and feeling like, wow, I never think about this stuff. I never think about the actual things that happened. I'm always thinking about the way I felt after for all of these different reasons. Um, they're so, I mean, it, it, it carries so much weight and it's so powerful. And I think that, like, the... the trauma really lies in the processing almost mm-hmm. <laughs> more than yes. the actual trauma. That's where the heavy lifting is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Allie, I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you. And um, the name of Allie's movie is The End of Us. And there's tons of her stuff on uh, YouTube. I imagine Vimeo as well. Yes, I have a Vimeo. Um, and then uh, YouTube... Um, uh, it's just Ali Vingiano, I think. And then um, I'm trying to think of like, that's probably where the best collection of my work is okay. on my YouTube. And my website, AliVingiano.com, has the shorts we discussed today. Um, and your social media handles? My Instagram is the real Ali Vingiano. <laughs> <laughs> So tired of the fake Ali Vingianos. I know. I, I'm really trying to get the Ali Vingiano account, um, but I I. It's a whole story, basically. I'm locked out of it. It's an account that I created when I was like 20. And um, you forgot your password? And I don't have the email or the... Other, I, I can't access it again. So yeah. it's like I need to change my name to something, but I don't know what yeah. it is yet. Um, and yeah, it's so. Fu- it was really nice talking to you today. I always think like I don't want to talk about like uh, like the assault PTSD stuff. And, you know, a big fear of trying to make this movie in this topic is like, I'm gonna have to talk so much about it. And then I have to remind myself like, well, the movie is talking about it. And then you Mm -hmm. can talk, you can then say whatever else you want. And um, I, it was nice to talk today and not feel as scared as I assumed I would be. So it took some fear away from me. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking to her. Uh, we'll put links to any of our stuff uh, under the show notes for the podcast. We are sponsored this week by the Match 3 mobile puzzle game, Best Fiends. Uh, I I play it pretty much every day, and uh, I am on level 2,408. If that gives you any clue as to uh, how often I, 
I play it. I like to play it when I'm when I'm eating. I don't know. It's just one of those games I find it relaxing and mentally challenging. And uh, for those of you that are already playing it, uh, I want to give you a, a little tip. Get the character Nog. He's the he's the character that will give you uh, three extra turns. And I find that when I when I get that, a lot of times that's the thing that puts me over the top and gets me to the next level. All right, enough geeking out about it. Go check it out. Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. I think you'll like it, and maybe you'll play it every day while, uh, while you eat, just like me. We are sponsored this week by Inside Tracker. You know, a lot of times when you go to the doctor, they'll take a blood sample and they'll give you kind of a very broad uh, picture of what's going on with your blood work, what needs uh, to be higher or lower. Uh, Inside Tracker kind of takes that to another level. Um, they give you a really detailed uh, readout on not only what are the acceptable levels that your thing should be at, but what the optimal level is helps you improve your metabolism, reduce stress, improve sleep, and optimize your health for the long haul. Uh, You get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. So for a limited time, get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash mental. That's insidetracker.com forward slash mental. And if they ask for a promo code, that is also mental. Let's dive into some surveys. There's no way I'm going to get through all of these. I always bite off more than I can I can chew. Uh, this is from the Shame and Secret survey. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself R. She identifies as straight. She's in her 20s and was raised, uh, she says, in a slightly dysfunctional environment was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, But she doesn't specify. She's been emotionally abused, and uh, she's not sure if she's been physically abused. She writes, Paul, I'm starting to realize I probably experienced a lot of emotional abandonment from my parents and that it has affected me a lot. I don't know why I pronounce that so... I overamp. I read that like uh, I was a first grader uh, at a spelling bee. My parents are nice people, kind and often generous, but they check out and ignore reality completely. They don't have the emotional resilience to deal with anything, and often I am the one to check on check up on how they are and to do the emotional labor. By the way, if you've never read the book Running on Empty um, by uh, one of our guests, uh, Janice Webb, check it out. It's about emotional abandonment and it's so good. And I don't know if I've ever recommended a book on the podcast that people have um, reacted to um, positively as much as as that one. Um, If I have to deal with anything hard like being stalked, they totally check out. And if I'm honest with them about it, they just go into shame about themselves and I have to take care of them. 
As an adult, I'm trying to mitigate this, but it's hard because I'm being stalked by someone who severely abused me in the past and they have totally checked out as parents and human beings. I lost my jobs because of PTSD and my mom just gave me a hard time again about not working. I feel like no one will take me seriously because my parents are so nice and my friends are often jealous of my parents and how nice they are. If I want my parents to take something like me, uh, being and feeling unsafe seriously, all I have to do, I, oh, I have to do all the work there. And when I am honest, they can't handle it and do whatever mental gymnastics they can to check out. I thought I had reached a good middle ground with my mom until she brought up me not working like we had never talked about it. I'm trying so hard with my parents and it feels like they are my adult children I've had since I was a baby. I never feel like I can be vulnerable around them. If I have a romantic relationship, I can't tell them because I feel like I can't be honest that there is a part of me that wants and needs to feel loved. I am leaving really soon for South America, and after that, I'm not going back. So I won't be around my parents anymore, and I think that's for the best. I have experienced sexual abuse and other forms of abuse, not at the hands of my parents, and I can't help but feel so much more pain when other people, especially my parents, don't care. It's like I only exist for them, like I'm a character in their movie and they are the main characters. I feel so much shame about this because it feels like being honest, because it feels like being honest with how bad my parents make me feel is me being ungrateful. But honestly, being around them and emotionally taking care of them makes me feel so worthless. The fact that they can't recognize how unsafe I feel makes me feel like they aren't my real parents. I think so many people sadly relate really deeply to what you just wrote. And there's that extra hurdle of not being able to point to any particular, you know, stereotypical dramatic moment that other people have so we can say this is where it all got fucked up. And I get you. I get you. Any positive experiences with abusers? Yes, my parents are also very kind at times, and I know they try their best. They give me a lot of financial support, but also it feels like they see that as a replacement for actually being a parent and as an excuse too. Darkest thoughts? I don't know. This one time I had a former friend kind of leave me for dead. That has to be the first time I've heard that phrase, kind of leave me for dead. So I'm saying I'm sorry that I'm laughing. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. So I have a lot of anger come up about him and think about spitting in his face a lot. I don't know if I feel shame about that, though, to be honest. Darkest secrets. I don't know if I really have any secrets anymore, question mark. One thing happened to me with the person who abused me, and it was one of the most violating things I can imagine. But I don't know anyone else who has been through that, so I don't really know. That's kind of a secret, I guess. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I am really shut down in that area from abuse. I guess being held by someone I love and trust. I would love to have sex with someone I love and trust. I think it would be awesome and super healing. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? 
Uh, the friend who kind of left me for dead. His response to my cry for help was to totally check out in some crazy new age space. And he said I should just focus on the light and nothing bad will happen. And if something bad does happen, it's because I was focusing on fear and not the light. I am not friends with him anymore. But if I saw him again, I think I would just say the light is the truth, no matter how painful it is. I heard a native man say that once when talking about facing colonialism. It guided me through a lot of my own life and also in doing work as a white person and acknowledging my place in oppression. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for love. I wish for a boyfriend or whatever who I can trust to hug me. That's what I truly wish for. Also, I wish to be in nature forever. I'm going to live in the mountains. Even if I'm technically homeless, I'm going to do it. Uh, she's shared some of these things with her friends and how do you feel after writing them down I feel sad I can't wait to leave well I I just want to applaud you on making that decision to save your mental health and stop being around people that um, just keep opening that wound whether they're intentionally doing it or not that is that is where self-love begins listening to your gut yeah. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? If you don't feel like someone loves or cares about you, your feelings are valid. Love is more than someone saying, I love you, or feeling the feeling of love. Love involves respect and kindness and protection. Love is safety and feeling safe. Love is courage. It took being stalked to realize how I've felt my entire life, and especially that my childhood was valid. Well, thank you for an amazing survey. It is such important stuff. Such important stuff. You know, the, this podcast, a lot of times, in my effort to keep it compelling, I read a lot of stuff that's that's dramatic. And uh, sometimes I, f I feel like maybe I'm a, making a mistake by doing that because I should be reading stuff that is more nuanced and kind of under the radar. And I do that because I'm a monster. And I'm deep down, I'm a terrible person. This is uh, from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a gender-fluid person who calls themselves Yellow Flamingo. Uh, they identify as pansexual. They're in their 20s. They were uh, raised, they say, in a slightly dysfunctional environment. They were the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, also, some stuff happened, but uh, they say that they don't know if it counts. Uh, my parents had sex when I was in the room. My biological father touched me when I was younger. Sexual things were discussed with me and while I was present before I felt comfortable with it uh, when I was a child. Uh, they've been physically and emotionally abused. I was hit as a child and hit with a wooden spoon. Why is the spoon always wooden? When You never hear about somebody getting hit with a plastic spoon. It's always the wooden spoon. Uh, they should have a little ticket on it in the store that says, please don't hit your children with this. We know it's very tempting because this is made of wood, but don't be a dick. They're your fucking kids. Um, verbally made to feel a lot of shame and guilt in terms of academics and appearance. Any positive experiences with abusers? Yes, both of my parents try to do the very best and are supportive. They are very open-minded as I am queer. Uh, 
It is certainly very conflicting, and it took me 20 years to realize that I was abused as the, the positive experiences overshadowed the rest. And what a really important point that it's it's not about you know a grade that you're looking to give your parents. It's like that previous survey, do you feel safe with them? You know, does it feel like they are trying to do better? That that they can see you and feel you. And when you bring up and try to set boundaries, do they take them seriously? Darkest thoughts. I have a very vivid fantasy of me standing on the train tracks at night, surrounded by a coniferous forest, under the moonlight, and seeing the light of the train approaching. This fantasy calms me down when I am too manic to fall asleep or when I am dreading life. Another recent fantasy that I use for before sleeping is more graphic. I like to imagine every little detail of someone taking me apart on a surgical table, joint by joint, starting with the fingers, hands, then the face, and so on. Not gory, but in an artistic way, as if for a body exhibition. I also think about being raped. I fantasize about torturing people I feel a rage for. Darkest Secrets I'm a very open-minded person, so my secrets aren't too deep. I used to steal a lot and was never caught. I keep the fact that I have complex PTSD for most people, even though I'm very transparent about my bipolar and borderline personality. One of my secrets is that I am scared. I had a lot of outdoor promiscuous sex uh, when I was manic. I have a love addiction. Hmm, can't think of more, but I will remember later, uh, I'm sure. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I want to be dominated by men. Also, I want the fantasy of me being like a child and taken care of by, quote, daddies and, quote, mommies, but in a sexual way, being controlled and forced to watch my girlfriend being used, even though it brings out rage but also turns me on. It's weird compiling a list of my sexual fantasies. In a way, it's very liberating. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? A family friend took her life recently. I'm so sorry to hear that. I was not very close to her as she lived very far away, but we grew up alongside each other and she was younger by three years. It hit me hard and still feels raw. I wish I could have reached out. I wish I knew that she was struggling, but how can I when nobody fucking talks about mental health as if it's like, uh, as it is like any other illness? If it was cancer, I would have known and had the chance to say something. I would have liked to have told her how I understand, how she is not alone. I would have suggested to her to listen to your podcast. I wished I could have hugged her and told her to hold on and do things minute by minute or even second by second. So many things, and it makes me tear up just writing this. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for a guarantee that my girlfriend would be forever safe. I wish for my family's health. I wish for the end to animal cruelty, for people to cherish the environment. I love nature. I wish that one day I can love myself as much as my fiancé loves me. I love that, uh, that saying, I just want to be the man my dog thinks I am. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared everything I've written down and everything with my girlfriend, well, fiancé, some of it with close friends. I surround myself with accepting, open-minded individuals, and I'm very lucky. They all know I'm a bit wacky and I've not gotten a bad reaction yet. 
Thank you for that. Thank you for that beautiful survey. Appreciate that. This is from the Love Survey, filled out by a friendly black hottie. And uh, she writes, I love the blast of heat that hits you in the face when you've been sitting in a cool office all day, and it's the first real hot day of the year that lets you know it's officially summer. I love finding, finding a random piece of candy in my purse. That is such a good one. I love taking a midday nap with the blinds open and the sun shining on me. I love when I'm teaching a dance class and everyone is lost in the music enjoying themselves. I also love the collective size after working my class hard. I love when I hug people and they give an extra tight squeeze. It feels genuine. I love giving random strangers compliments and seeing their face light up with happiness or gratitude. I love that one. I love seasoning a pot of food without measuring perfectly on the first try. Those are great. Love those. Thank you for those. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Kyle. He identifies as straight. He's in his 30s, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, uh, was the victim of sexual... Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. He writes, I can't really remember it. It seems very blocked out. Maybe I made it up, and I remember my doctor asking my mother to leave the room, and I can remember him touching me near my penis and it feeling good. But that was it. That's all I can recollect. Uh, Never been physically abused, never been emotionally abused. And then he writes, I mean, my one girlfriend was really hard on me, but... No, she's also super sweet and a loving person, so sometimes you just got to take people's advice, I think. I think it depends on the tone. You know, it's hard to, sometimes I think you got to parse out what somebody is saying from the tone that they're, that they're using. Because some people are well-meaning, but they were, you know, maybe raised in environments where uh, everything was delivered with hostility or aggression, and they don't realize how they're coming across darkest thoughts i have a fantasy of rape darkest secrets i've cheated on every girlfriend i've ever had the last three with escorts i am so ashamed because i loved each one of these women deeply sexual fantasies most powerful to you i like the idea of knowing a woman is going to or has an obligation to have sex with me it makes me feel sad and ineffective that i use women What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd like to tell someone, anyone, about this feeling and compulsion. I do not want to be the kind of man that cheats, and yet time and time again, I do. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for forgiveness from my most recent ex for the cheating. I wish that I could uh, know with certainty that this is the last time I cheat. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, but never to the full extent of telling them about the escorts. It's too shameful. I've told almost everyone I know about my cheating, but not to the extent. I just sort of had to put myself in a point of no return. How do you feel after writing these things down? Sad. I've let someone down I cared deeply for and wanted to build a life with. Uh... Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Um, I love you. I am sorry. I am working on being a better man. Thank you for sharing that. 
I think it, it, it would be really great if you found a support group to, to get some camaraderie and, and some support. And um, I know with my issues, it has definitely helped me feel less alone and, and helped me heal and, and grow. This is uh, from the Shame and Secret Survey, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Montana Ring, and she identifies as straight. She's in her 40s, was raised, she says, in a slightly dysfunctional environment, uh, was the victim of sexual abuse, and one time reported it, and another time did not report it. She writes, I suspect something happened when I was very young. I don't have a good memory or knowledge. The things I do know, ages 5 to 12, an older neighbor exposed himself to me. It bothers me. I think he did more. I remember him taking me to his house, his room, but no more. The idea that he made me do oral sex is tapping me on the shoulder, but I really have no memory. Age 13 to 18, uh... I started having he started having sex with me. I met my best f- friend through him. He took her virginity at 12 and was messing with both of us at the same time. We were both friends of his sister. I feel that he should have paid for this. I think my parents were aware and did not protect me. Maybe my parents were just grateful that their toady daughter had a boyfriend. After the 18-year-old went away, no clue where or why, this 12-year-old best girlfriend and I often drank with adult men in their 20s and had sex with them. She and I talked about running away to Chicago to be hookers. Why not get paid for it? That was my career goal at 13. That guy really messed us up. I was a gifted child, but have always undershot and underperformed. Teenage drinking and promiscuity. I just blame myself for all the sexual things that transpired. Having sex was the only attention I got, so I let it happen and laughed it off. I was just one of the guys who needed love or stupid girl stuff. Married at 19, divorced at 25. A year of drinking and promiscuity. Married again at 26. He forced me to do sexual things I didn't enjoy, but I did them for him. He was extremely abusive. Divorced at 41, I still don't know how I feel. Betrayed, angry, humiliated. 41 to 49, some casual dating, no relationships, no abuse. I am happy. Age 49 on, sexually assaulted by a trusted co-worker outside of work and sexually harassed by him at work. I am enraged, humiliated, and shamed, but angry. I reported it to the police and HR. My company still makes me work with him, and I was becoming depressed, so I recently gave two weeks' notice. I'm scared, but it will be okay in the end. I can't see him every day and have HR tell me I'm just overreacting and to get over it. You should report that company because that is, well, I shouldn't tell you what I think you should do, but um, reading that. I find myself saying, God, I wish she would report HR because that is fucked up and you deserve better than that. Uh, She's been physically and uh, emotionally abused, uh, never good enough for my mom my whole life. She never even said, I love you until she saw me parenting my own children. 
any positive experiences with abusers. He was my best friend. We had a lot of good times together. Darkest thoughts. I know I'm a beautiful woman. I am intelligent and creative. I have a good heart. I am always sunny and positive, but I don't feel good enough for anything or anyone. I am sad that no one will ever love me unless I settle for abuse. And that is a lie that your brain is telling you. Darkest secrets. I think I must be crazy or broken that I hurt so bad inside and yet things look so good on the outside. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Just having an intimate relationship with a partner who really cares for me as a person is my biggest fantasy. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'm sorry for being such a disappointment to everyone who gets too close to me. I'll never say it because they'll know how fucked I re- how fucked up I really am. What, if anything, do you wish for to make a positive difference in the lives of others? Have you shared these things with others? No, I'm not close to anyone. Oh my God, can you hear my stomach again? Holy shit. How do you feel after writing these things down? Somewhat less anxious about the future than I did when I started. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? It's not your fault, and there are people who care about you. Maybe you just haven't met them yet. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. Half of the battle of life is finding our people and letting them love us. is fucking itchy and uncomfortable and scary as that sounds. You know, if we've grown up with conditional love or love with mixed messages, it's so hard to believe that somebody can actually love us and care about us and and even love the parts of us that are, you know, quote unquote, less than perfect. And the last thing I want to read, um, this, it was sent by a guy, uh, who is writing from prison and, um, I I hope he hears me read this because I want to ask his permission to read the rest of his letter. But it, it's he shares a lot of personal stuff, and I want to get his okay um, before I read the rest of that. But I'm sure he's okay with me reading the loves that, that he listed. Um, and his uh, initials are KK. Um, so if you're, if you're listening to this, write me and let me know if it's okay to read the the rest of your survey uh, or if there's anything you want withheld uh, from that. And thank you for your letter, by the way. You sound like a a really sweet soul. Uh, And so his loves. I love delicious cold water going down my throat on a hot summer day. I love when I wake up in the morning and all four of my cats are curled up on the bed around me and on me. God, I miss them. I love when I kiss my cat and the way his fur smells, LOL. I love when a song transports me to a a fond memory that makes me smile or makes me cry. I love Thai food and the smells coming from the kitchen at a Thai restaurant. I love when I dream about my grandpa who passed away 13 years ago. I love stepping off the plane in Hawaii, my home state, and knowing I'm home because of the stifling wall of humidity I'm walking into and the smell of fresh downpour mixed with blooming plumerias. And I love all the sick 
sick, fucked up people on the podcast that make me feel like we are all normal. Thank you for that. Your, your, your loves and your email really, really touched me. And um, I'm sending you some love, buddy. Sending you a hug. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And um, just remember, if you're out there and your brain is telling you that you're alone, even if you're physically alone, you are you are not alone in spirit. And uh, you got a you got a family out there. And like that person said, it's just a process of of finding them. And it's an amazing feeling when you do find your people. It's amazing. Um, and never forget, you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely.